Welcome to the South Mims Use Soccer Studies podcast. Once again, I'm in South Mims, while the faculty's very own globetrotter, Martin, is down under in the land of Neighbours and Skippy. And come to think of it, Cell Block H. Hmm, perhaps that's apt, as Martin is a prisoner to academic rigour. He's also drawing a large, and in my view quite unnecessary, overseas allowance from our rather hard-pressed alma mater here in South Mims. But I won't dwell on that. So, Martin, are, are you there? Ah, oh, Jerome, hello. Yes, I am. And uh, at least it's evening here, rather than the, the early hours sessions you usually book for me. So, all things considered, I'm actually rather well. And before you slip into even more cliched and stereotypical depictions of my new Antipodean power base, no, I'm not feeding my pet koala not running around with a hat festooned with corks on it, and neither am I treating myself to a slap-up barbie as we speak. You sound a little bitter. Is there quite a lot of bitterness all pent up down there for you, Martin? Not at all. On the contrary, I've actually been reflecting in a rather satisfied way that the spirit of football around the world was a lot more ethical, more moral even, than, for instance, cricket. Now, you know, I'm a, I'm a lover of the old leather and willow, but look where cricket took itself, to the very outposts of empire. Talk about a tool of imperialism. Well, setting aside your particular proclivities with hide and bits of wood, you're getting rather political very early in today's discussion. I, I think there's enough said, written and spoken about politics and sport without us adding to it. You're quite right, Jerome. I'm not getting into the politics and sport debate. I'm simply saying that I was thinking how football has spread itself around the globe in quite a pleasant way through students studying abroad, expat workers going around the globe, British clubs touring, that sort of thing. A note I said, British clubs. Yes, I'd noticed that. That's very inclusive of you, Martin, I must say. There's a point to it. What I was really pondering is, to put it bluntly, we owe so much, almost everything, some would say, of the global game, not to the English, but to the Scots. Really? You've been on the single malt again, haven't you? Or re-watching that Braveheart DVD of yours. The ending won't change with repeated viewings, you know, Martin. Aha, uh -huh, all very droll. But what I'm saying is true. Let me remind you of a few things. All right, here we go. I'm, I'm prepared to indulge you. OK, thank you. Right. OK, a brief aside on my earlier point. The oldest football club in continental Europe, 1860 in fact. You know what it was? Lausanne in, in Switzerland. Started by... Guess who? Yes, students. OK, students admittedly from England, but not, please note, arising from imperial conquest. Anyway, I digress. That, that's that's yes, enough of that. you do digress and you do it quite frequently. Let's stick to the point, Martin. Scotland is the font of everything. Tell us why. Right. Well, here's my evidence in support of that. Let's look. The Argentine Football Association, founded by a guy called Alexander Hutton, a Scottish schoolteacher, in fact. Oldest football league outside the UK, by the way. Now, John Miller, have you ever heard of him? No. Should I have had? Yes, you should have done. Scottish railway worker, OK? Finds himself working in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Has a son, Charles. Sends this son to England for schooling. Well, young Charlie only ends up playing football for Corinthians, doesn't he? And for St Mary's. Corinthians? Well, I know, of course. They've got their... Brazilian namesake, of course, but St Mary's? I doubt that adds up to much. We did. They, they became Southampton. There you go. Well, I rest my case. England. Very good. Anyway, Charlie comes back to Brazil, 
only brings football with him, doesn't he? Founds a club or two along the way and founds the Liga Paulista, which is actually the first league in Brazil. Oh, right. Okay. well, you're getting me interested in this, Martin. But I do happen to know that the Scots didn't have it all to themselves. William Poole is regarded as the father of Uruguayan football, and he was most definitely English. Uh, Not a kilt to be seen on him. A shortbread never passed his lips. Well, fair enough with, with William Poole. But he was a good, oh, 10 years later, where the Scots lead. All right, OK, but to be fair, I've always thought that in football terms, Uruguay is a footballing sibling of Scotland, both small countries. Uh, I mean, I don't know, what's Uruguay's population? Something like three million, I think. And both have produced great players. The English might scoff at the Scots now, but don't forget Baxter, Law, our own John White and Dave Mackay at Spurs, and of course... Kenny Dalgleish. Oh, and the Lisbon Lions. Well, you're right. And it was Uruguay, of course, who won the first World Cup. And the same Uruguay who, of course, broke Brazilian hearts in 1950. And there wasn't even a World Cup final in 1950, was there? You're spot on. You're right there. 1950 went down to a group of three. And it was the last match. Uruguay versus Brazil at the Maracanã Stadium. Biggest ever crowd, biggest ever football crowd, 199,500. And that just happened to be the deciding match, that last group game. And wasn't it that the Brazilian goalkeeper never recovered? He made a mistake, didn't he? And he was a pariah for his whole life. Absolutely. And in fact, I was reading that one of the Uruguayan scorers, who I think is, is still alive now, whenever he goes to Brazil to visit... Even young Brazilian immigration officers, when they see his name, half in jest will say to him, ah, you're the man who broke our hearts in 1950. Anyway, you're on uh, one of your tangents now. Actually, I've joined you. But anyway, take me back to Scotland. I want to know why Scotland is the font of all football. Uh, It'll be my pleasure to take you back to Scotland. Now, I know you'll point to endless countries where the English have taken football. We all know about the cricket origins of AC Milan, the black and white Juve shirts from Notts County, the red and white stripes of Athletic Bilbao coming from Sunderland's shipyard workers. But it was Scottish coaches that took football, its skills, its patterns and its techniques around the globe. And I tell you what, there's more. I knew there'd be more. William McGregor. You're raking them up now, aren't you, Martin? Who? McGregor from Perthshire, committee member at Aston Villa as well. He was only the bloke who organised the London meeting in 1888 that established the Football League, ended up as FA chairman too. And, Jerome, if we want to get technical, he was actually the guy who oversaw that transition from amateur to professional. I tell you what, that game we've got today, warts and all, was in big part down to him. You're doing well on this, actually, Martin, but I could throw in a load of English names, couldn't I? So what does it prove? I mean, look at Charles Alcock, founded the Wanderers Club, created the FA Cup, and basically put together the Football Association. And he was an Englishman. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. So when we complain about the old fogies and the blazers of the FA, we've got Mr Alcock to blame, I suppose. Well, well I think that's a cheap shot, Martin, but uh, you get my point. I do, but... But now for my finale, my, my climax. Steady on, Tiger, or should I say Kanga? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, I'm getting carried away, I admit, but it's the thought of all those Scottish coaches who brought football to the world. For instance, 
Johnny Madden, formerly of Celtic, regarded even today as the father of Czech soccer, the man who brought an attacking style to Slavia Prague in the 1900s that was actually the forerunner to the magnificent Real Madrid in the, Real Madrid in the 1950s. And then Glaswegian Tom Donoghue, his statue, you know, still stands in Rio. Yes, Copacabana football has its roots on the Clyde. The whole group of Scottish coaches who went to Central Europe in the 1920s, they laid the foundation for that great Austrian team of the 1930s. They were the ones with really the first use of the of force number nine. And it was that, that Austrian team, that then directly shaped the approach of the Hungarian team of the early 1950s, you know, the magnificent Magyars. Um, Jerome, football as we know it today is, is basically all down to the Scots. It's thanks to the Scots. Well, Martin, that's quite a claim, but I, I can name all sorts of other influences, Dutch, Italian, Spanish. Yes, agreed. Look at Rhinus Michaels and his Dutch team, and, and obviously he was the, the father of modern total football. And yes, he truly did revolutionise the way we play or what we've come to expect. But if I can just deviate slightly, actually, on, you, you mentioned the Dutch, and I, I've mentioned Rhinus Michaels. I tell you a guy who's long neglected, and to be fair to fair to you, he's actually English. That guy, Jimmy Hogan, had had Irish roots, and in fact, played for a club that, that you've got some affection for, Fulham. But as a coach, he really made his mark. He was the guy who was actually coaching in Austria during World War One. In fact, I think he, he got interned there. Then he went, he went to the Netherlands. He coached young boys burn for a while. He coached or was part of the coaching team, but the, the Austrian national team I mentioned was engaged as well to coach the Hungarians. And in fact, funny enough, after that 6-3 defeat of England at Wembley, um, the guy who was the Hungarian coach, Sebes, he said something like, the football we play today was the, the football that Jimmy Hogan taught us. So to be fair to you, you know, you, you, you know, there is that English influence, although Hogan, as I say, had Irish ancestry, and in fact, did spend a while coaching Celtic as well. But anyway, my overall point is that it was basically the Scottish coaches and Scottish football evangelists who made the global game possible. Yes, and you're very passionate about this theory, and I do see there's merit in it that Scotland is the root of all global football and all that we enjoy. I mean, I'm starting to wonder that your passion comes from maybe some life-affirming moment on the Firth of Forth at some stage in your early life. Was that true? Jerome, if only. If only. <laughs> but, but let me now give you my coup de grace, and I'm not referring to a lawnmower. Oh. Right. Well, if you're determined and your jokes get better than that, uh, I'll let you go on. Here it is. And this is the this is the, the this is the cruncher. The combination game. You're probably wondering what that is. The combination game is, in other words, the passing game as we understand it today. That was the creation of the Scottish Amateur Club, Queen's Park. I mean, I say amateur club, they were still amateur until last November. They changed their status then. Um, and they were also the ones who first introduced the crossbar, free kicks, and some even say the concept of half time was down to them. Um, as, as I keep saying, the game as we know it really has been hewn from Tartan. And that's a very good phrase. 
And I think that last salvo has got me thinking. You might have even won me over to your theory, Martin. What I'll do is I'll retire to a darkened room to consider everything you've said. I mean, I am a philosopher of our beautiful game, after all. So I'll contemplate it and uh, have a think that maybe, yes, we owe everything to Scotland. You just do that your own. Now, it's time for me to get some sleep, and I'll be dreaming of the poets of the pitch from north of the border. Well, that's better than counting, or in your case, perhaps, shearing sheep. You just can't stop yourself, can you? Look, lights out here. Good night. Well, good night, Martin, and thank you, dear listener, for listening to this Soccer Studies Faculty podcast. There'll be more. Please look for them, and we do lots of other subjects, so subscribe, review, and share, and keep the faith. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.